Hi, this is Tim Winter. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A digital conversation exploring the leadership experience. You can listen to it at timwinter.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? podcast exploring the leadership experience. Today's guest is Mr. Scott Roth, CEO of LegitScript. Uh, Scott is one of, uh, in all transparency to my audience, I know him. Uh, I've never worked for him. I've never worked with him, uh, but my wife did. And Scott is just one of these people. Uh, I was really excited to have him on the show because he is a people first leader. Um, he has an unbelievable reputation. Uh, people will follow him and you always know you're a great leader when, uh, when people will follow you. Uh, so Scott, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being a guest on what would Dave do? Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Uh, I have to say, uh, you were very kind and generous in that introduction. And also, um, I am absolutely honored to be a part of, uh, the show. I love what you're doing. I love, uh, the honor that you're paying to your friend Dave and the relationship that you had and the impact that he had on so many people. And so I'm pretty humbled and honored to be a part of this. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I know I introduced you to one of my uh, one of our colleagues and I know you two hit it off. Uh, Rob, I don't know if you remember that. Rob McNaughton, I introduced you. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 yeah so the role we were looking at. Yep. Yeah. So Rob and Dave uh, cut from the same cloth. Mm. Yeah, really. And, and we were all colleagues at Hollywood. So it's a uh, it's a small world. It um, is indeed. And and I know that uh, uh, Dave would have um, you and Dave would have hit it off. So um, what have you been up to? What's going on? Yeah, um, well, I guess I'll uh, I'll answer that in a couple of parts. Um Maybe the part that's most important to me is uh, my family. Uh, as you know, I am insanely fortunate to have an amazing wife of over uh, 17 years now. Allie has uh, been so fantastic. Um, she is doing great things. She started, as you know, a nonprofit organization called With Love Oregon 10 years ago, helping to serve uh, families that are uh, in the world of foster care and children that are in, entering into foster care across the state of Oregon and Southwest Washington. And so uh, thriving on that side, uh, we have two amazing uh, biological kiddos. We have a 13-year-old a son, uh, a 8-year-old daughter, uh, and then we are also foster parents uh, every once in a while. We uh, got certified to do foster care several years ago and have had uh, numerous infants that have been a part of our family for short stints of time. Uh, so feel very fortunate uh, and blessed on that side. Um, on the community side, um, still, you know, I came from a family of educators. Both of my parents uh, were educators. And so uh, education in the local community is super important to me. And so continue to be involved in POIC and Rosemary Anderson High School and Middle School. Uh, and helping to support um, their efforts across Portland and being able to uh, do job placement, gang outreach, as well as to help educate uh, in an alternative manner uh, a lot of our youth uh, here in the community. Um, I still serve uh, on the board of the School of Business and uh, as an advisor into the dean of the School of Business at Portland State University. And so that aspect uh, continues to be really important to me. Uh, and then insanely fortunate to uh, be the, the chief executive officer and help serve the company and our clients uh, here at LegitScript. Uh, and, you know, happy to go into that a little bit more, but it is just an amazing company with an amazing mission and uh, so grateful for the opportunity to help uh, LegitScript through its growth journey and uh, taking it uh, through what I call the awkward teenage years of no longer being a startup but not being a fully scaled enterprise yet, and all of the the opportunities and challenges that come with that. Wow, yeah, and I, I can um, well as as far as your professional and and uh, being at LegitScript, I you know I I follow uh, tech a little bit here in Portland, and you are the uh, you know it's all about timing sometimes in life, and and you are absolutely the right person 
uh, for that company and where they're at uh, and at the stage of growth where they're at. Um, your style of leadership and your um, you know ability to read the tea leaves is is pretty mm. uncanny. Mm. Well, thank you for that. I mean, I, I just love I love the size that we are. We uh, you know when I joined the company three years ago. Uh, we had, I think it was right around 115, 120 employees. Uh, we currently are actually right about 215 employees. So, you know, we've added a good amount of folks over the last couple of years as a part of our growth. Um, but I just love that, you know, at 200 and some employees, you know, you can get a lot of stuff done, um, but I can also know every single person. And so I just love kind of that size and scale where, you know, you can really make an impact on the world and provide a lot of value to your clients. But at the end of the day, you know, you can connect with every single individual and know who they are and, you know, really build a lot of relationships internally that have a lot of a lot of meaning. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that goes as we continue to grow and evolve. But um, I just really love kind of that sweet spot of where we're at. Yeah, it's a it's a fun stage of a business. Um, it's a because you are so involved in so many parts of it, or, or mm. you can be involved in so many parts of it, not into the details, but you're, I, I get it. And it is a fun stage. I can also speak to your, um, your amazing family. Uh, you know, you are, um, you are an amazing family and, uh, and really blessed um, and do so much good. I will also say um, to the, to the audience who, who follow, uh, the what would Dave do? Uh, they know I love boats, and um, mm -hmm. we've had the Ross on the Disco Volante. Um, so, and I will say this, Scott, you guys are the best boat guests <laughs> because you bring the best boat gifts. I mean, I was blown away. Like you brought gifts <laughs> to me on the boat, and. I, it's a new rule. I mean, you guys set a new standard. It's a high bar. I think that was very selfish because our opinion is that it's the best people, the best friends to have are people who own boats <laughs> <laughs> because we don't have to deal with all the, uh, the day to day, the maintenance, the upkeep, all the stuff that I'm sure you, you know, maybe love and hate doing, but uh, we get to show up every once in a while and enjoy the beauty and the conversation and the entertainment. And so yeah, we'll, we'll keep those gifts flowing if, as long as the invites keep coming along. Well, there's, you know, it's twofold, too, because you're you're you you're you're great boat guests because you enjoy the boat and you actually go swimming and and participate in what boating is. Some people just get on and I don't know, they're scared or they just don't know what to do. <laughs> but you guys fully engage. And then I, I'm going to pr uh, pronounce his name wrong, but um, I believe he's your nephew. Yeah, Shadrach. Shadrach, yeah. who just loved boats <laughs> i mean what a great what a great family to bring on the boat i i just uh i can't tell you how much that warms my heart because boating is such an important part of our life uh we love the people we love the the we're very blessed to live in in oregon where we have you know uh a thousand miles of waters that we can navigate and uh explore and um and it's great having people who really enjoy it and being able to share that. So, well, isn't it great that we have things like that, like boats that can be a platform for uh, getting out and enjoying beauty and just making connections and memorable experiences with people? Yep. That, you know, that, and for us, that's what it's always been about. We've, uh, we've always tried to give more than we take um, and, 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 and doing what we love. So, you know, and that speaks to, you know, on leadership, too. I've always felt that leadership was a, you know, uh, a privilege and uh, that it's not a right. It's, you know, it's not a title. It's a privilege to be a leader. You have definitely, you definitely have a style. I would say it's people first. People genuinely like working for you. Uh, you're able to get the most out of people um are high performance out of people um and they love doing it and and that's a unique skill and not everybody can do that but has your philosophy about leadership changed over the years i mean from when maybe you first started to where you're at today i i definitely would say that um 
I would say that things have evolved for sure as I've kind of gone about my career and, you know, seen ups and downs and developments and things like that. Um, that being said, though, I mean, I do think a lot of the foundation for my leadership style um, was really built from kind of, you know, the formidable years of, of my youth. And I think there's two elements of that that kind of frame things for me that I'll share with you here for just a second. And then I'll talk about maybe how things have evolved. Um, I would say number one, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I come from a family of educators and I am extremely fortunate that I had, you know, two parents that cared an awful lot about us and my brother and myself and my brother and my sister and, you know, really wanted to see us, uh, have opportunities in our life. And we were a big sports family. And so um, for, for us, that meant, you know, how can we, you know, go participate in the sporting activities, things like that, that we really wanted to go do. And so, I mean, I vividly remember that, you know, my, my father worked in addition to his normal job as a, a teacher and then a principal and then an administrator of schools back in Illinois. Um, he also, you know, would work nights at Bush Stadium in St. Louis um, so that he could make some extra dollars, uh, you know, to help pay for some of the things that we had to do or that we wanted to do, but also kind of combined all of our love for sports and that we could actually go to the stadium and, you know, get into the game. I don't even remember if it was free or for cheap or whatever, or if he snuck us in or how that worked. But um, you know, I think that value of just hard work was very much instilled in me at an early age and that we all have to work for everything. Um, so that was one kind of pillar. The other pillar, just building off of that, was was really sports for me. Um, I participated in a ton of, of team sports, um, ultimately kind of settled on basketball because that was that was my thing. Um, at six foot five, it's a little bit ironic that I'm the shortest male in my family. Um, <laughs> I, I'm the shortest male in my family, too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's all relative. Right. Um, but uh, but yeah. So, you know, that gave me really a competitive drive to always try to keep up with my brother and my sister, who were both fantastic athletes. But I just I learned so much about teamwork uh, through all of the different team elements that I had, you know, playing basketball all the way through college. And so I think that, you know, for me, my leadership style is definitely one where it's all about the team. And, you know, I know, and I saw as an athlete, you know, you can only accomplish so much as an individual, but you really have to rely on everybody who's around you and figure out the strengths and weaknesses of every individual. And how can you highlight each of those and how can you all work, work hard together um, so that you can create something that is really kind of that one plus one equals three type of equation? And so I think those are kind of the pillars on which my leadership style are formed. And then, you know, I think the reality for me is as I've gone throughout my career, um, I finally have just gotten smart enough to know that um, I'm not the smartest person in the room and I shouldn't be the smartest person in the room. And so I need to both bring people onto the team who are way better than I am at each of the functional areas, you know, of the company that are going to be able to put in the hard work to get to know each other and work together as a team and then kind of know when to just get out of the way and let them go do their thing. But also know, you know, when do you have to lean and hold, lean in and hold people accountable and be, be confident enough to be able to come in and hold people accountable and maybe to share things with them that, you know, they don't want to hear or they don't think they want to hear at that point in time, but ultimately is going to be the best thing for them and hopefully the best thing for the company. And so I think if my leadership style is developed and changed it all over time, it's more been the reality of, you know, we can get so much farther if I really lean into everybody else in the room and their strengths and how can I, you know, spend more of my time building them up versus trying to convince them that my vision of what should happen is the way that things should go. Yeah, I, I think that that is, um, I do think that our, 
our our upbringing, our 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 you know our our youth is does have such an impact on who we become as leaders. Um, you know, I in my own personal life, I know that you know m my real father passed away very when I was very young, um, and and my mother remarried um, to a gentleman who was a Polish immigrant, and his uh, what he instilled was work ethic, but. Um, he, he was in the grocery business and I remember it was made a huge impact on me when I was a kid. I hated it, but as an adult and as I, as I got older, I, I really learned to appreciate it. There was a, a young man who lived, who worked in the, or lived in the neighborhood in which our grocery store was and uh, he was special needs. And, um, uh, my, my stepfather gave him a, a job and mm. that job was like golden. It was the most important thing in the world to this person and um and gave him a job and I, I remember people questioning my father my stepfather and and he you know was committed to it and he was committed to giving back and to helping and putting people first and i really believe that had uh, a huge impact on me uh, about being a and I, I i don't know i coined this word just a people first leader um i think there's some people who put you know the bottom line first i think there's some people who put the board first i think there's yeah. some people who put you know, whatever first, um, and I, I earnings, uh, which are all important and they're all part of a business, but without people, they don't really happen. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It is. Uh, I mean, I think that is a, a tricky, a tricky thing for leaders to be able to navigate is because you do have multiple pressures. You've got multiple stakeholders, um, that you have to try to weave uh, together. And I think that is one of the things that while I definitely, um, you know, I do think I lean towards being kind of a people first uh, leader and, you know, see that value. The thing I would add on to that, though, that I am always trying to find is kind of, you know, what I call the triple win. And so, you know, with the triple win, it's like, can you find those initiatives, those efforts um, that are going to find an intersection of they are the right thing for our people, but they are also the right thing for our clients, and they are also the right thing for our board or for our shareholders. And so um, I, I, that is not always the easiest thing to, to find that sweet spot or that intersection, but when you can find the things that actually can touch on all three of those elements simultaneously, what I've found so far is that's when you can really start to get the flywheel going is when you can really kind of find the things that can drive on all three of those elements versus, you know, just being hyper focused on on one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. You you know, and that's the job of a CEO, right? I mean, that's the balance of, of having the balance of I, I would just argue that I think there's some people who don't, you know, like the people are are an expense. And I think if you look through history and you look at companies that have, you know, put the, they've been able to do all of those things. They've been able to give shareholder value. They've been able to take care of the customer in a great way. And they've been able to take care of, of their people. I, I think of Costco, you know, I love that story of their CEO was on a, on an analyst call. And one of the analysts said, um, you know, we did a, we did a, a we reviewed your salaries and if you would just go to minimum wage, uh, you could save X of whatever the dollars were. Mm. And the CEO told him, well, why don't you sell all my stock tomorrow? <laughs> because you clearly don't understand my company. Wow. <laughs> Not yeah. what they expected. Yeah. And because you clearly don't understand what we're doing here. And the reason that we have the unbelievable experience, the reason we're able to do the volume that we're able to do is because we have this unbelievably dedicated workforce. And yeah, sure. I, um, I, I just think there's so many stories like that. And I do. I, I think that you've been able to strike the balance um, of, of that intersection of those three things. Um, when you think about it, though, OK, so you you clearly have, you know, tools in your toolbox of things that you do for the people who work for you, whether it's, you know, your obsession with chicken wings or the, <laughs> the, which you've turned into something, right? Like it's, it's turned into something that people connect with or you're, you know, going around the office and giving out refreshments or whatever it is. Is, is that, is that just 
like to have fun. You're a nice person or, you know, where, where does that come from? Um, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. I think the, yeah, I, I would say where that comes from is, you know, also back to my upbringing, it was, uh, you know, value working hard, but also, you know, loving what you do and really taking the moments to enjoy the work that you have or the people that you're working with, even if the work is not the most, you know, pleasurable thing at the time. And so, yeah, I think that, uh, for me, I've kind of got these multiple rules that I've chosen to live by uh, from a professional standpoint. And number one is work hard. Number two is have fun. Number three is settle for nothing less than awesome. Number four is have a game plan. And number five is be great to work with. And so those have been five underlying you know, pr principles or philosophies that I've tried to live my professional life by. And I really feel like that number one and that number two, work hard and have fun, they have to go together or else you just get massive burnout. And so, you know, that's kind of, I think, why I try to go about creating other experiences to say, hey, you know, we're going to go through some tough times. We're going to roll up the sleeves and get things done. But at the end of the day, let's take an opportunity to to just be human and step back. And I think a lot of companies, unfortunately, fall into that trap where they kind of remove the human element of things. Um, but for me, I've been able to find like if I open myself and, you know, become a little bit vulnerable about my love of chicken wings and, <laughs> uh, you know, my challenge with the, uh, yeah, the drink cart Friday was really fun because, you know, we started with, okay, let's have a, let's have a adult beverage or maybe some beers for people who like that, but let's also have, you know, some non-alcoholic options. And then it became a challenge and a quest of, okay, can I add one thing more to this cart every week that goes by and just continue to add it? And, you know, people got fascinated to see what I was going to be pushing around. <laughs> so, well, And that was always key is that you pushed it around. Um, you know, it was, and I think the, the key word that you said in that was humble, that you would humble yourself enough to share, you know, your love of chicken wings or whatever that is, you know, that, and it is the humility that when leaders can, can give that, um, and it, it really is a form of trust, right? Cause you're yeah. letting people in. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think that's the thing is you, obviously you got to, you always have to, you know, keep it professional. You have to focus on the task at hand. But at the end of the day, you know, we're all humans. Uh, we all, you know, we all make mistakes. None of us are perfect. But let's uh, let's just uh, get down to the basics of actually building a relationship. Again, I think that's that's another. It goes back to why I'm so drawn to like this size and stage of company is that. Um, you know, it's possible to know everybody. I uh, I absolutely love still to this day. Um, you know, when I joined LegitScript three years ago, we had about 115 employees. And, you know, the first thing I did, because it was June of 2020, and we were, you know, in the crux of the pandemic, so everybody was fully virtual, first thing I did was I fired up 115 Zoom one-on-ones uh, so that I could get to know every single employee who is here, why they came to the company in the first place, why they've stayed at the company, what were some things that were going well? What were some things that maybe they felt like could go better? Um, and now, you know, I still meet with every single new employee within the first couple of weeks of them coming on board. And I just think that it's so important, especially even more so today where so much of our workplace is virtual or hybrid to have that one-on-one -on -one connection, you know, with the, the CEO of the company I think is, you know, hopefully going to build loyalty that goes, you know, way beyond just uh, the time that we'll work together here. And hopefully it'll help bring out the best to know that, you know, the CEO of the company wants to get to know them as a person and to make sure that, you know, we're connected at, at that level. Well, they are um, legit scripts. Very lucky to have you. And I'm sure they all know that. Um, I would also say, I think that, you know, just by your record of success, you've, you have figured out that balance and of the, you know, providing a great employee experience, shareholder value and, and, and client experience. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you still, you were 
what, what, you made the 40 under 40 list. You were in 2018, the, the uh, PBJ's um, executive of the year. Uh, I think you still hold the record for the largest capital raise. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember any of those things. <laughs> well, I, I think so. I think you have found the balance. I think you found the, the sweet spot where you can have those because you have an unbelievable loyalty. And just hearing you talk today, I can I, I, I know why. And what I would tell my audience is your top five is worth the price of admission um, mm -hmm. that you shared that with everyone. So that that's the price of uh, worth the price of admission. Um, well, hopefully it's an encouragement for everybody to have a top five, because uh, I don't know if my top five are the right top five for other people. But uh, I don't know. That's another one. I, I can be a little bit I can be a little bit type A at times and get a little <laughs> too, we get a little too overplanned and have too many frameworks for things. But uh you know, for me, having those five principles has been really helpful as I've navigated, you know, my career and where I want to go and how I want to lead and how I want to show up for the other people that are that are in my life. No, I think it's um, look, I've worked for leaders who, who who have not had a top five. I've worked for for people who, you know, don't have that stake solidly in the ground. They're true north. And I think what, what you're saying here is that those are your five. That's your true north. And if you're if you're failing in one of those, you probably know it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Having that having that as a you're right, true north or a guidepost, uh, it definitely makes you realize when you feel like you're kind of slipping on one of those. And OK, take a, uh, you know, take a pause and figure out, OK, how do we reprioritize if these truly are going to be the things that I'm going to drive my life by? Yeah, no, I think that's I think that is. Um, I think that's fantastic. What um, what changes have you seen? I mean, there's a lot of talk going on right now about, you know, the change in work and work attitudes. And some of it's driven by the pandemic. Some of it's uh, driven by education. Some of it's uh, the 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 amount of exposures that that CEOs have. Um, to their people via social media, via text, via, I mean, all of these things that, you know, quite frankly, 15 years ago didn't exist. Um, and, and certainly CEOs were not accessible as they are today, you know, with all the social media and all the things. So I, I know that, but there is a lot of talk. I know in Portland, the Taylor group is spending a great amount of time discussing what is the future of work? Mm. Um, what have you seen from, you know, you're in your career, you've been the CEO of a couple of companies, you've um, more than a couple, but what have you seen like over the last 10 years? What have you seen that, and what do you think the future of work is? Hmm. Um, oh, I wish I had that crystal ball, right? Uh, be able to see that future. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a super fascinating time right now because of all the things that you've mentioned. Um, You've got this, you know, you've got pandemic, uh, you've got shifting priorities as far as far as, you know, where people are working from as a result of that. And, you know, what's going to be in person, what's going to be virtual? Is this a now thing? Is this forever thing? Um, you know, you've got new technology. I mean, everything around AI. And obviously, that's a world that we live in a ton with uh, at LegitScript and the work that we're doing on behalf of our clients, we're applying a ton of advanced technology uh, to help solve the problem that we solve and making the, the internet and payment ecosystem safer and more transparent. Um, and yeah, you've got, a, you've got people who are entering, in the, entering into the workplace um, in a just completely different world than we had been used to historically. And so I would say the two the two things that are maybe just top of mind for me, and I don't know if these are kind of here and now or thinking into the future, is I think we are still going to continue to see more and more separation between kind of the importance of knowledge work and separating out from kind of the mundane, repetitive uh, things that can be automated. And so I think it's a huge opportunity for employees to lean into that and how do they have 
a learning mindset and constantly challenge themselves to to up their game. It's one thing that I talk to our company about all the time is the just the reality that, you know, whatever your growth rate as a business might be, you know, let's say it's 10% top line growth, 40% top line growth, 100%, whatever the number is, you know, there's a reality that if you as an individual are not upping your game by that much or more every single year, the company is going to outpace you. And I think that that is both a challenge and an opportunity for a workforce to really kind of lean into that as far as how do you constantly step up your game? How do you increase your knowledge? How do you increase your people skills when a lot of the mundane and the ordinary and the regular stuff is going to be increasingly automated? And so um, I think that is one, you know, really fascinating dynamic. And then another element um, that we spend a lot of time thinking about is just really, really detailed employee engagement, especially in virtual or hybrid environments. It is so easy to just keep that, you know, people are out of sight and out of mind. And you have to be so intentional, so mindful of how you as executives, as VPs, as directors, as individual managers are engaging with your employees on a personal level or else they're just not going to be connected with you and they're not going to be connected with the work that you're doing. And so by no means do I feel like we have that 100% figured out, but we are really having to push hard across our whole company at every level, um, starting at the top of how do we show up as genuine humans and connect with people, especially when we just don't get the opportunity to to do it face to face every day and to walk the halls together and to go out to lunch and go grab coffee and the things that, you know, we kind of took for granted in the past. And so I think that next level of employee engagement is just going to be a really difficult thing for people to figure out in the future, but also a huge opportunity for folks who get it right. Yeah, I, I think that uh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think, um, I, I, and I think that people have to figure that out pretty quickly because I, I think that, you know, work is changing uh, on so many different levels. Um, and that if, if you know, the, the, the old, it was funny, there was um, uh, one of the big uh, financial firms in New York City, the CEO, put out an edict that, you know, the offices were opening and that's, that's what was going to happen. And, um, the, uh, you know, I, I just thought to myself, Oh, you have no idea. You're, you're going to have such an immense amount of turnover. Um, you, you, you know, edicts in today's world, just, they don't really work. Um, that's not the way the workforce responds and yeah. that level of engagement because it is. And, yeah, you know, the, uh, Gallup just put out their thing where 60% of workers are quietly quitting. Mm, yeah. Which the impact on productivity and profitability is so huge. And yet I don't think it's being really addressed. Yeah. Because I'll it's not in your face, me. right? It's, it's yeah. kind of, it's not in your face. Yeah, exactly. Well, I tell you what, I'm glad that there are people like you who are out there thinking. I, I think that you you hit on a lot of the right things. And, um, you know, I'm glad that, well, I live in Portland and I'm glad that you're part of the, the, the Portland, you know, our leadership as a community, because I think um, I think we need that kind of thought leadership to to help when those when those opportunities come up to to say no 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 we, we've got to look at this because this is going to affect us in the long it's going to affect our our it's going to affect a lot of things and our competition on a world stage is i don't th well it's changing all around the world but i think that there are other countries that are making strides in, a, in the other direction and, and we're going to need to figure that out um, going local on you and because you're in it and, and you're, you're, you know, you've been in it and you've been successful. What do you think the, the future of the Portland tech community? I mean, 
what, four years ago, five years ago, we were the, the Silicon Forest, maybe it was a little before that. Um, you know, you couldn't stop at a coffee shop without seeing somebody, you know, a, a group of tech with their laptops out. Uh, and that's all kind of, you know, a, a lot of it driven by the pandemic, but a lot of the big companies have sold. Um, what do you think the future of Portland tech is? Um, you know, I'm still, I'm, I'm still extremely bullish on Portland for a couple of reasons. I think one, um, you know, there's a there's a difficult reality that obviously the prices of Portland uh, to live in Portland have gotten you know way more expensive over the years. I mean, I've been here for 20 years and things have changed dramatically. And so there's a very difficult and challenging element of that, of what does that mean for, you know, people who have lived here for a long time and, you know, especially for underrepresented, you know, parts of the community and what the challenge of that looks like. But there also is a reality that, you know, when you compare Portland to the rest of the West Coast, um, it's still way more affordable to live in Portland um, than it is to live up in Seattle, to live in San Francisco in the Bay Area, to live down in Los Angeles, et cetera. And so there is a lot of tech talent that lives here uh, and will continue to move here because it's such a great place to live. It has a good, you know, generally speaking, cost of living. It's way more expensive than a lot of other places in the country, but compared to the rest of the West Coast, it's still a, a you know, a relative bargain. And so I think that there's still going to be a lot more people who are coming here to live that, you know, are potentially working for technology companies that are based elsewhere because you can make that happen now. And so I think the big challenge we have is how do we tap into that community? How do we tap into that talent? And how do we get that community of people who may be living here working for someone else also benefiting the local tech community uh, over time? And so I think that's a, a challenge and an opportunity for us. The other part that I'm really excited to see is like when you trace back to, you know, kind of back to 08, and I'm sure maybe even for other times where, you know, the economy was in a tough spot, that is like the vintage of some of the great companies that have come out of Portland were born uh, during, during down or challenging economic times. And so, you know, to the extent that our economy is, you know, whatever you want to classify it as right now, um, uh, I think that there, if history holds, um, there are going to be a lot of really interesting and exciting companies that are born from this uh, in the Portland area. And so there still is an amazing early, early stage entrepreneurial community. It's not something that I'm, you know, a ton of directly have direct involvement in um, just because of the size and stage of company that we're at. But from what I hear and what I see, there still is a great community in that early stage. And so um, I'm really excited to see, you know, if we have a similar phenomenon that emerges of amazing companies that are born, you know, out of that 2012, 2013, or excuse me, 2022, 2023 vintage, uh, as we had out of the 08 and some of the other times where there were some economic challenges that we were faced with. So Scott Roth is bullish on Portland. That's fantastic. You know, I think there's also a spirit. I think there's this uh, this spirit of innovation that that Portland. I don't think they've lost it. I know we're having our troubles right now, but I think that spirit still uh, in the people that I talk to. I think there's still a spirit of innovation, and I think there's a lot of creatives and uh, who who come to Portland. Uh, because of that, that, you know, that spirit. I mean, that's where the Silicon Forest was born out of. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And, and, and you can't argue with the amount of creative people who come, you know, for the natural beauty. I mean, there's lots of things, uh, and all that natural beauty is still here. None of that's gone away. Uh, we're having some other struggles, but you know, communities do. And, uh, I am, I am looking forward to the Renaissance. I am looking forward to the, the the Portland coming back, and it's it's going to require leadership, and it's going to require you know uh, people stopping to point fingers, stop pointing fingers, and you know participate, uh, and that will get us there. So, uh, who is a leader 
like I love this question, but who do you admire today? Like you're a, a very established leader in our community, but who do you follow or who do you admire from a leadership standpoint? You know, I would say I um I don't know. I, I'm not a great person as far as like, you know, going out and following popular figures or kind of looking at at that. Um I think the way that I would answer that question is, you know, really the the leader that I admired the most across my career uh, is a gentleman by the name of Scott Dorsey. And so I had the pleasure of working for Scott um, at uh, Exact Target, which was a company that I joined. Um, I joined Exact Target in early 2008 and was with them. You know, when I started there, we were actually right around the same size as LegitScript. We had just over 200 employees, I believe. And over the course of five years, we um, grew dramatically. We acquired multiple companies. We ended up going public on the New York Stock Exchange. And then a year later, uh, we were acquired by Salesforce and ultimately became kind of the foundation for what is now the Salesforce Marketing Cloud. And the reason that I, you know, well, there's many reasons why I admired Scott and his leadership. But, you know, I guess one of the, one of the two of the things that I would call out and highlight for you is one, um, Scott was someone who was able to fully make the transition across all the stages of the journey from starting the company. Um, I forget exactly when he started Exact Target. It was, I think, maybe at the late 1990s or early 2000s. Um, and, you know, made it, he was someone who was able to go all the way from starting a company in Indianapolis, Indiana with two other co-founders and leading the business all the way through the IPO and ultimately to be a part of Salesforce. And I just, the more and more I get around companies and leaders, I find how unique that is because I think a lot of us are wired for certain sizes and stages, but it really takes a, a unique individual to be able to thrive at all of the different stages of a company that might exist from inception all the way to running a public business and ultimately even being you know acquired by a much larger entity. And so to go with that, um, you know, some of the things that I saw from him was a intense focus on people and an intense focus on culture, uh, the culture of the business. Um, you know, I think Scott was really not fanatical, but just really, really in tune and really, um, you know, concerned with as the company grows and scales, how do we maintain and, you know, appropriately evolve the company culture. And so there was a lot of time and energy and effort put in by Scott directly, but by the rest of the team to really be mindful of the culture as we were growing and what the employee experience would look like. Um, and, you know, what I also saw from Scott was just an amazing ability to bring the right leaders on board and then equip and empower and enable them uh, to grow uh, underneath him and to lead in just amazing ways. One of the people that he hired on board was a, a gentleman by the name of Tim Kopp, um, who he, Tim was actually the one who hired me at Exact Target. And Scott had the foresight to say, wow, Tim was a unbelievable leader. Um, he was at Procter and Gamble and then he was at, um, uh, he was at Coca-Cola and, you know, was this amazing kind of digital and brand marketer, but then made the transition. And Scott, you know, I think had the foresight to say, hey, if Exact Target is going to come what we want it to become, we need somebody who has a much bigger vision than an enterprise B2B company out of Indianapolis. We need somebody who thinks at that level of a P&G or of a Coca-Cola. And so, you know, I think that was really inspiring for me to see someone who is, again, you know, comfortable enough to say, hey, I'm going to hire somebody who's truly this next level and maybe even outperforms me uh, and things are going to work out okay if we can equip and enable them to go do their thing. And so, you know, just so many elements that I saw. And I guess the last thing that I'll do to just kind of tie that up is the last thing is that Scott was just the most humble, down to earth, personable human being that's out there. He would, you know, even when the company was 2000 plus employees, 
Um, he would take time out of his day to talk to any one of us if we needed the time with him. And so, you know, just somebody who really, really uh, cared about people and cared about the impact that he could have on their life. And so uh, it was a super, you know, super inspiring leadership leadership example for me and definitely have pulled many pages from the Scott Dorsey playbook and how I've tried to lead the companies that I've been fortunate enough to serve. Wow. Uh, well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, Scott Dorsey. Um, did he retire after selling? Yeah. So, you know, he, uh, no, he's still working. So he actually started up a, a venture studio in Indianapolis called High Alpha, which to no surprise has been insanely successful. I think I just saw their, just celebrated their eighth anniversary. They've had amazing companies that they've either created or invested in or both, and they're having amazing outcomes. And so, um, not a surprise, but, uh, he uh, decided not to just go post up on the beach somewhere, but to go serve a whole bunch of other companies from an investor and incubation capacity. Well, that's super, well, that's super cool. So he, you know, that's, that's somebody who, you know, they love what they do. It's, yeah. it, it's not work, right? Yeah. And when you love what you do, I mean, that's, I tell people all the time, I've never had a job. Um, yeah, yeah. My my big brother worked for Fred Myers for thirty three years, and he used to tell me, you know, hey, I'd ask him, hey, how's Freddy's? And he'd say, well, I got twelve weeks of vacation. And I'd be like, oh man, you measure your success by weeks of vacation. <laughs> well, how much do you have? I said, I have unlimited. But it's not about the time away. I mean, it, you know, similar to what we were talking about earlier. It's like. You know, I always want my job to be something I run to, not what I do in between weekends. And I just think that's a, you know, it's a, just a different, uh, just a different way of living. And so, uh, well, you were lucky to have him. I, I, I have mine. He was the first guest on the podcast, uh, John Alderson, and he had that same impact on me and, and really was foundational on who I became as a leader. Uh, throughout my career and 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 the, really was the one who taught me that it's a it's a privilege to be able to lead people it's pretty cool that if we uh if we all pay attention you know every manager or leader that you work for you you can learn a lot from sometimes you're going to learn great experiences like you know what we talked about with scott and i think yeah. it was with john on your side you know sometimes you're going to learn experiences that are not the not the best but those are amazing learning experiences too of you know, maybe things that you see that you don't ever want to emulate uh, as you're leader, leading other people. And so I think that's an important lesson is just to to pay attention to the people that are around you, whether it's good or bad, and figure out what are the things that I can, can take away from that experience. Well, it's like Steve Jobs said, you know, what are you most proud of? And he said, the things I said no to. <laughs> you know, it's not always the positive. The S's are easy. Sometimes great leaders are easy. It, it's it's hard to acknowledge maybe someone that you're not aligned with or someone that you don't that, but you are learning. Yeah, and and you can learn, and and you can make those those you know micro adjustments on yourself um, because every every everything is a learning experience if you allow it to be. If you're if you have a learning a mindset. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a great point. Uh, well, I've made I've made a ton of mistake a ton of mistakes. So that must mean I'm learning a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but if if you didn't make mistakes, you wouldn't be where you're at today. Those yeah. are the, I think of that all the time. And uh, there are you know moments I can go back to them and remember like, oh, why did I do that? Yeah. Um, but you know, some 20 years later, I'm still, I'm still learning from that experience. And I, I think when you have a learning mindset, you know, you're learning from all your experiences, good and bad. Um, so, so, so Scott, you have, you, you, you're involved in nonprofits that are in education. You're uh, with uh, uh, Portland State. Um, and what advice would you give to a, you, to yourself when you were first starting out, a young executive 
starting in the business today, didn't matter what business, but someone came to you and, you know, their first substantial job uh, leading a group of people, what, what advice would you give them? Oh, maybe a couple of things. Um, ask a lot of questions. Um, I think that that is, and, and ask questions not to just make yourself sound smart, but truly ask questions to, to learn and to engage. Uh, and so I think that that is, uh, it gets one of those things that is kind of a underrated activity in the world is being a good question asker and a good listener. Um, so I would say that is one thing. And then I think this probably goes hand in hand with that is just have a insane sense of curiosity. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it is one thing to just kind of come in and check the boxes and do what you need to do. But for people who are true, constant learners where, you know, maybe it's learning more about your specific role, your specific function, but um, learn about the areas that are surrounding you. If you're uh, in sales, learn about marketing or customer success. Um, if you're in engineering, learn, learn about product management or tech support. Um, you know, I think just, having that mindset of coming as well-rounded as possible really can set you up for success as you try to continue to grow your career. And again, maybe it's not growing into management, but it's growing uh, into uh, a better individual contributor because you have a more well-rounded perspective. Uh, so I think that's a, a critical piece. And I also think along the lines of that, um, people, when you at most people, not everybody, but when people are curious about what you're doing and how it works, people will want to spend time with you. Uh, people like to talk about what they're up to and what they're doing. And so, you know, I've never found a situation where if somebody comes to me and says, you know, Scott, I'm curious to learn more about this or that or how that worked. Of course, I'll spend time with you, you know, sharing some perspectives on that. But I just don't think people tap into it. Uh, enough. And I know all of my leaders across the company, you know, feel the same way. If somebody came to them from one function and said, hey, I'm really interested in learning about your group and your function, of course, they would spend time, uh, you know, opening up to that. But there's, uh, I think there's, unfortunately, there's too many people that just don't ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they get into their silo. And this is, you know, here's what I got to do. I think that, you know, well, Obviously, if, you know, as the CEO of the company, if you're creating that environment and giving permission for that, that's going to help foster it, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's so many people who like just staying, just stay in your silo or stay in your lane. And I think you do because, you know, the other thing that you get out of it is job satisfaction. If you know how the whole mechanism works, you can be a better contributor because you know how your portion contributes to the overall success of the whole company. For sure. Totally agree. I, I love curiosity. Uh, I, I always want it to be one of my values, like curiosity, be curious, ask questions. Why? And, and sometimes fresh perspective will, you know, a, a fresh set of eyes. Well, why do you do it that way? And it, it, it's amazing how much a company can grow or, 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 or have more momentum by just being curious. So I love that. Uh, I think that's great advice to give somebody new. Well, Scott, if you we are going to come up against our time, I think I'm going over my time with you, but if we, uh, if you had a story or a moment where you realized maybe it stopped you in your tracks, maybe it just that your leadership had an impact on, an individual like like you I guess the whole weight of what leadership really is kind of fell on your you hitch in the head do you have a story like that I think I, I guess I would answer that maybe in kind of two ways um, you know one you know I think I have just been so fortunate to work with so many great folks over the years. And I think the one of the things that I love is, you know, a lot of them I don't get to spend as much personal time with anymore, but 
I love when I see on LinkedIn that, you know, such and such person uh, has taken on a new role uh, or has been promoted to this next level. And, you know, a lot of the people that I've worked with or and or have managed or led over the years have now become, you know, VPs and uh, CEOs even and chief marketing officers and things like that. And so I think that part to me is I'm really proud to know that, you know, hopefully I played a, uh, for even if it's just a small moment in time, an important part in helping to develop them and their career. And so it's always really neat to see uh, when, when that pops up, uh, one of the feel good parts about LinkedIn and seeing, you know, what the good stuff that your connections are up to. Um, and then I guess the second part that has been insanely humbling for me is just how many, how many um, repeat uh, work interactions that I've had with folks where, um, you know, we've now worked together for one, two, three, four different companies. And so um, I think that's just been, been great because it means that we've built a great connection and we've added value in each other's life and we've been able to help grow each other to that point where we truly do trust each other and would go, go to work with each other again. And so that's been another element that I've been really fortunate to have multiple people now in my life where we've worked together at multiple companies. And um, that, that to me means a lot. It's, it doesn't, it is also great to make those new connections uh, of what that looks like and how that can build the, the network even further, but having those kind of repeat opportunities to go go to work together is always a really neat experience for me. And and in my opinion, it's the testament to true leadership. If people will follow you, you know, it's it's the same thing. It's the five 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 experience at Disney. You know, um, how was your overall experience? Whether you it's on a scale of one to five. Um, would you tell a friend and would you come back? <laughs> and if you don't get five, 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 it was a bad experience. If you don't give three fives and they call it the five, five, five experience. And I think in what, you know, the, the managing people, people coming back and willing to work for you is a five, five, five experience. And um, that is, uh, that's, that's huge. And congratulations to you. I, I, I think that that, with if if you have multiple relationships with people that and they follow you to a company uh, multiple times, that that really is saying something. That's 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 more important than any plaque or trophy you'll ever get. Yeah, thank you. I agree. So, well, Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for. I know your time is valuable, and I really appreciate you taking the time to to share your wisdom and your. And, and just exploring the leadership experience with me. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And um, I, I look forward to seeing you on Saturday night. And uh, we should have some fun. I'll, I'll give it a plug. Uh, with Love is celebrating their 10th anniversary. That's amazing. You're at, uh, it's a fundraiser, correct? Yeah, this is their annual benefit uh, event. And uh, yeah, so it's also, it's a double. It's a double. It's the annual benefit event, but it's also a, uh, a 10 year celebration of helping uh, families who are engaged in foster care to be able to better support the little ones who are going into care. And so it's a amazing thing that my wife has started and really appreciate that you're gonna be able to be there to help us uh, celebrate and support the continuation of the good work. Well, I tell you, we're impressed. You know, I, I, saw, uh, I saw an Instagram post that uh, Allie and her executive director did. They were doing a, uh, a volunteer event they were doing something with a company um I, my wife volunteered and um they put this post out on instagram and the energy and the excitement and i mean holy moly just so fortunate to have that passion and talent you know helping such a such an important population and and you know that they, the, the things that they're doing now will affect, you know, leaders long after you and I are gone. So that that's really, really exciting. And uh, we're excited to be part of it. So, Scott, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks again for having me and for uh, the platform that you're providing here. You're doing some great work. Really I appreciate it. I appreciate it, buddy. I'll talk to you later.